warm as possible and with snow shovels in hand looking for sidewalks, driveways that they could shovel and uh, make some money in doing so. Uh, they approached a man who was out shoveling his driveway and asked, can we shovel your snow, mister? And uh, the, uh, it's only $2. And the, the man who was there stopped shoveling and looked up from his work. And uh, he responded with a little puzzled uh, conversation. Can't you see that I'm already shoveling my driveway to which the boys responded, uh, yes, sir, that's why we asked, because we get most of our business for pe from people who are halfway done the job and ready to quit. And uh, that may be where some of you are in, in uh, this whole response to the virus and all that's been going on. Dr. V. Raymond Edmond, the former president of Wheaton College, used to tell his students this on a regular basis, it's always too soon to quit. Always too soon to quit. Uh, this past year, more than any year that I can remember, I've come across article after article encouraging pastors and ministry leaders those serving God in a full-time capacity, to not quit. Uh, I've read a lot of those, saved a number of them to my file so that I could look back and, and be encouraged. But uh, the, 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 the thought, obviously, is in the minds and hearts of a lot of people uh, and all of the circumstances of this past year and what's been going on in our country and, and in our own lives where we live has certainly been caused to give up, to quit, whatever it may be in things. And Paul, who wrote most of the books that make up the, the New Testament as it's found in the Bible, the Word of God, was an apostle. He was a, a church planner. He was a pastor. He was a missionary and, and certainly a ministry leader. Um, the New Testament is full of accounts of many churches that Paul started from scratch in cities where before he got there, there had been no church, no gospel witness. And uh, today we begin a new series, a series on the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to examine how Paul began a church there in the city of Corinth in what we call modern-day Greece. And uh, the church in Corinth was one of the most difficult churches that Paul started, one of the most troubling churches as we read through the New Testament and look at the churches that Paul began along with his church planning team. It was a tough work. It was a difficult ministry it was a hard church, certainly, for pastoring. And as uh, we watch Paul develop, even today, as we look at how that church began, and then study through one of his letters to the church and the people at Corinth, I'm sure there were times that Paul was ready to quit. And had it not been for the encouragement of our God, he may not have finished 
the work of planting that church, helping them get to a place of, of maturity. So please open your Bibles with me this morning to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to just look at the first. And while you're doing that, keep your place there once you find 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And then also get your place in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. And we're going to look at the first 17 verses of Acts chapter 18. While you're finding these passages, uh, please, as we work through our time together, and, and this study is, I'm going to guess, be about a year long. Uh, certainly, there's, there's, it's a large book, a lot to say, covering a lot of topics, a lot of subjects for, for the local church that will apply to us and give us some insight on how God would have us to respond to a lot of these same issues today in 2021. But let me encourage you to make sure you have your Bibles with you. I know that you have your tablet or phone, and make sure if you do that, you've got some kind of an app or program that allows you to mark it up. And if you read and study during the week, let me encourage you to do that. We asked you last week to read through all 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to ask you to continue to do that again. And for next week, that would be a great help to you. And uh, as we break it down, as we move through, we'll be letting you know ahead of time what text we'll be on in the following week. But the more you dig into the Word of God, the better off you'll be. And I would encourage you to be ready to mark up, to circle, to underline to highlight whatever it is that you do as you take notes and write these truths down in the Bible so that you can look back and remember all that we're learning together. So let me read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and the first two verses. This is what Paul says there. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth. There it is. That's key. And we're going to be talking about that phrase and throughout our study to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Um, that Paul is writing. This letter, we'll talk a little bit more about the city of Corinth and how that played into all of what the church was at that time. But Paul is identifying the believers, the church, those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and how he is helping them as he's writing to them concerning some of the things that someone in the church had written to him about and that the church also had sent a letter to him with questions about what they ought to be doing and how they ought to respond to certain situations. But I thought it would be good for us as we begin uh, our study in 1 Corinthians to see actually how the church in Corinth began. And that's why it is so critical there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and, and those first couple of verses when we read to the church of God in Corinth. One writer said it this way, the church of God is a community of people 
who share the life of God that requires a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. So it's a community of people who share the life of God under the governing will of God. It is God's will that directs us, that governs all that we as a church do, and that cooperate or who cooperate in the work of God. I thought that was put well. We do have work to do. We've got a mission to accomplish. And when Paul says the church of God, he's talking about our responsibility. The church has been commissioned to make disciples of all nations, all people, all nations throughout the world by preaching, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says to the church of God in Corinth, the city of Corinth. The city would, would have been the, one of the best places for uh, disciple-making to take place. And that's why Paul went to these, these major uh, areas, these cities that had plenty of people so that the church could begin there and then spread out from those areas to the surrounding communities. But as we talk about this, it was in the city, in the marketplace where Paul would begin planning a church. And as we work through this study in 1 Corinthians together, one of the questions, I write it down, because we're going to be talking about this a number of times, and that would be simply this. Who is influencing who? Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, the church in the city of Corinth. It is the church that ought to be influencing that ought to be having a significant influence in the city of Corinth. Just like it ought to be the church today that is influencing our community. The communities here in northeastern Pennsylvania. But at times the problem was with the city, the church in Corinth, was that the city was having more of an influence on the church than the church was on the city of Corinth. We need to be asking that question and making sure that we're putting ourselves in the place where we're having an influence in the area, in the community, in the city in which God has placed us. We are out to make disciples of those that make up the cities here in northeastern Pennsylvania. So let's look for a minute at Paul's model of ministry. If you're there in Acts chapter 18, just turn back a, a page or two, however it make it, uh, you need to do to get back to chapter 14, because I want you to see Paul's model of church planning. This is how he did it. So Acts chapter 14 and verse 1, and we read this, at Iconium, one of the cities there in and that Paul had already been to, in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Paul would come into the city, and as usual, he would start with the Jews in the synagogue. Take a look at chapter 17. Chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. And here we read, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. You've heard of 
1 and 2 Thessalonians, two letters that we find in the New Testament. But when they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue, now note this, verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Look down to verse 16. Verse 16 also of chapter 17, the book of Acts. And we read this. While Paul was waiting for them, he's talking about Silas and Timothy who were part of the church planning team. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. So Paul is now in Athens. Silas and Timothy are not with him. They've gone to minister at a couple of the other churches that they had planted And so Paul is in Athens. While he was waiting there, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And we could go on and read how, how Paul had that ministry there in Athens. But then chapter 17 ends really on somewhat of a positive note. Because Athens was one of the few, if not the only town city where Paul went to minister where he didn't get thrown out. Where he wasn't persecuted. Where he wasn't physically beat up or threatened. That didn't happen in Athens. But Paul decided to move on. I'm sure it was a God thing. And as we get to chapter 18 and verse 1, we read this. uh, Because we're going to pick up the story now. Paul moving from Athens. Chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had already come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, and that's Emperor Claudius, that's Claudius Caesar, that's who that is, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Uh, He wanted the Jews out of there. He didn't want that influence. He didn't want them to be there. And many of them, as they left, went over to, uh, to Greece, what we know as Greece now, to, uh, to Asia Minor, uh, to Macedonia, Achaia, that's where we are here, and that's where Corinth was. So Aquila and Priscilla had been in Rome, and because Claudius Caesar had kicked them out, they ended up in Thessalonica. And here, Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla, two amazing, godly people. Now, Many talk about the fact that, well, we don't know if they were believers. It doesn't say they are. I believe they were because as we follow them through, we'll find out that when Paul is done in Corinth, he moved on to Ephesus and he took Aquila and Priscilla with him to to work and plant the church in Ephesus. I believe they were believers. In fact, Paul sought them out. Paul stayed with them. Paul worked with them. And the other thing is that we find no record, at least in the Bible, of their conversion, of their salvation story. That's why I think they already were saved. And uh, when they were kicked out of Rome, they came to Thessalonica, or excuse me, Corinth, and there they set up shop. Because as we read there, as we move down, verse 2, 
Uh, Paul went to see them to, um, and verse 3, because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So there it is. They would have been in the marketplace, just like we saw in Athens, just like in many of the cities where Paul had planted a church. They went to the synagogue, and many times that was in the marketplace. Uh, the agora, you may have heard that word before. But that's where they went to minister, to, to make tents, to, to repair tents. Uh, that would, they would have been leather workers. Tents were also made out of... Uh, a combination, some kind of a material goat hair it was called Cilicia, which came from Cilicium, where Paul was from, the Isle of Crete. And so that's what they would do. They worked together making tents, repairing tents. We'll talk more about that as we get into the study and learn more about the city of Corinth. But here again, here's his model, verse 4. Every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. That was Paul's model. He would go to the Sabbath. So we know that with all of the other people, the Greeks and the Gentiles of many races, the Romans that had come over, um, there were some Jews. There was a Jewish population because there was a synagogue. And so Paul went to the synagogue and we're told he reasoned with them, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks and uh, he was there to uh, to build the church to get that started and then we move on down Um, verse 5 when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia all right they were two others of the church planning team we'll see here that that Aquila and Priscilla helped Paul begin the ministry. They were already working in the marketplace. Paul went there, but on the weekends, on Saturday, he would go into the synagogue to reason and persuade the Jews and Greeks of their need of Jesus Christ. Silas and Timothy arrived in Corinth. They had been elsewhere ministering to the churches that had already been planted, and now they showed up. Again, they were part of Paul's church planning team here in Corinth. Paul didn't just do this on his own, but when they arrived, I'm sure he was greatly encouraged, and we read this, when they arrived, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah. Paul was able to, to, for a time, put aside the tent making, and he was able to devote himself exclusively with fresh energy and, and power and uh, concentrating on preaching to the Jews there in the synagogue. Why? Because uh, we believe that Silas and Timothy may have brought a gift from some of the churches in Macedonia that financially was able to help Paul and provide for the team. They also may have been involved in tent making and also earning some money so that they could keep, so that Paul could exclusively spend his time preaching the gospel, starting that church. And look at his message. Here it was. Preaching to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. That's the message. That Jesus was the Messiah. Listen, many of the Jews did not believe that. They thought he still needed to come because 
The Messiah was supposed to come and and deliver the Jews from the Roman rule and set up his kingdom on earth. Well, Jesus had already come. We, We celebrated that a month ago. Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, God becoming man. And he'd come, but the Jews didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So Paul's message was, listen, Jesus is the Messiah, and you need to receive him as your Savior and Lord. And as as we read, he was preaching that, verse 6, but when they opposed Paul, that's the Jews, those in the synagogue, when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Listen, folks. When we preach the gospel, there will be opposition. We talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago with Simeon when he gave his prediction, his prophecy uh, to Mary and Joseph about what would happen to Jesus as he became a man and in his ministry. And here we see the result. Paul is preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, and opposition from the Jews comes. In fact, not just opposition, but abuse. We talked about the fact that, you know, why can't people who don't agree with this just say, listen, I don't agree, but I'll leave it alone. Because that's not the way it works. You see, when, when we preach the gospel, It strikes at the very heart of the need of individuals who are living in darkness, who know nothing but the evil that is there because of the devil and his work in this world. And and as a result of that message, when they hear that, there's going to be opposition. If they don't believe and receive, it's going to be abuse of those who are giving the gospel. We're seeing that today around the world believers all over this world are being persecuted i think we're seeing a little bit of that beginning right here in the united states and i think we're going to have to be ready for that and understand that the more we preach the gospel and shine the light in the darkness the more abuse and opposition there will be and paul says i'm done with you listen You've rejected your opportunity saved. Your blood's on your own heads. You're responsible for what's going to happen because you've rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we read this, uh, verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Next door. I... If I could take you to Corinth, and I've not been there, I'd, I, I'd love to go there. Mark and Diane Hensler were living in Greece for a while. They're now in Egypt and ministering there. But I would love to go to Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece, and see all of what's going on and what's still there, what once went on. And uh, we'll talk more about that next week as we describe the city. But... but that city was, was quite the place, and, and right next door to the synagogue, you could see it today, where the, the synagogue existed in the marketplace area in, in the city of Corinth, right next door, the house of Titius Justice, 
is where Paul went to begin his ministry to the Gentiles. We believe that is the first house church in Corinth. Right next door to the synagogue. Is that not cool or what? That's the providence of God. Right next door because Paul would be in and out of there. But he would also still have the opportunity to minister to the Jews. In fact, look at this. As we read this. Verse 8. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household, believed in the Lord. The guy who'd been the synagogue leader, he was a Jew and his family. Paul had left the Jewish synagogue, went next door to begin ministering to the Gentiles. But the leader of the synagogue, Crispus, got saved. He and his family. And then look there at the end of verse 8. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Wow, that's the Great Commission. Paul had gone to Corinth. Go, make disciples. He was there. He went. And then he proclaimed the gospel. People believed. He baptized them. And they went on to teach. But there it is. They they believed and were baptized. And wow, what an encouragement that had had to be to Paul. Right next door to the synagogue. And all of a sudden, the church at Corinth is beginning to grow is beginning to impact their city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll look at verses 9, 10, and 11. And I have this here for you too. I've had these others, but I want to talk through this a little bit. And here's what we read. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. The Lord said to Paul, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. We're going to see when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul said, I came to you in weakness and trembling, fear. That's how Paul began the ministry. There had to be fear here. I mean, there was opposition. There was abuse. We see that God was bringing some people to Christ, even the Jewish synagogue leader. And yet he must have had some fear because God says, Paul, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. No matter what the opposition, no matter what the abuse, keep preaching the gospel. Why? He Look at this, verse 10. For I am with you. I am with you. We could study throughout. the. We could go back to the Old Testament and see any number of times when God's man began a new ministry. And he said to Joshua, who was taken over from, from Moses, hey, fear not, I am with you. But guess where else God has said that in the New Testament? How about at the end of the Great Commission? The end of the mission that God gave to the church when he said, hey, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things. And lo, I am with you always. He's repeating that that promise to Paul. I am with you and no one, is going to attack and harm you. Now, that would be quite a promise and a guarantee for a church planner to hear, for Paul the church planner, in light of all that he had already 
experienced. And then the verse goes on and he says, because I have many people in this city. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. The church in the city of Corinth. God had told Paul at the beginning of this church planning venture, he said, Paul, don't be afraid. Keep speaking because I have many people in this city. You know what, you know what that is? It's the doctrine of election. That's right. That's exactly what that is. He says there are people in this city that that are going to get saved, that are going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles alike, who are going to trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, just like Crispus, the synagogue leader, did. Wow, he says, you don't leave because I have many people in this city. And then look at this, verse 11. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Wow, what a, what a guarantee. Don't worry, no harm will come. You don't need to be afraid. Keep preaching. I am with you, and I have many people in this city. You know, the doctrine of election is one of those things that we tend to argue about more than understand and apply and believe. We, we get caught up in the, in the deep, wise and why this, why that? Well, how could this be and how could that be? And we talk about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man and where does that fit in? But you know what? Here, it was one of the greatest encouragements to Paul because he had a guarantee that there were people in the city of Corinth that were going to trust Christ and be saved. What an encouragement the doctrine of election can be to us as we seek to reach our communities right here in northeastern Pennsylvania. It's always too soon to quit. And Paul stayed on for a year and a half, about 18 months, carrying on the ministry. People had gotten saved, they were baptized, and they were teaching them the Word of God, teaching them to obey. Well, as we move on through the text, verse 12, and, and we read this, while Galileo was pro-counsel of Achaia, now that was present-day Greece, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. Now, think about this. Think about this. Um, God had already promised, no harm will come to you. I have many people yet in this city. And yet right after this promise, we find out that uh, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. If you're marking your Bible, I, I missed it back when we were talking about tent makers. You should have circled tent maker because we're going to refer to that. And I would circle in your Bible place of judgment because here's what this is. Have you heard of the judgment seat of Christ? That's known as the Bema. That's the Greek word. And, and, and I'm not going to lay out all kinds of Greek words here for you, but Bema, that's the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bema was a real place right in the marketplace in Corinth. In fact, it's still there today. It means a raised platform. And there was a raised platform 
where Galileo, who was, it says, pro-council, that meant he was the governor of that area. And he would sit downtown and, and just watch life go by. It's also the place where judgment would take place. In fact, two things would happen there at the judgment seat. There would be commendation made for people who, who had uh, done something worthy of everybody knowing about it. And the, the governor would commend them, and that would happen right there. And they would be rewarded and, and talked about and lifted up publicly. But there's something else that happened there, and that was condemnation. And that is why the Jews brought Paul there to this place of judgment, to the Bema, to this raised platform where the governor would sit and where he would then listen. And, and the, it would be kind of like the courtroom, but it was right out there in the middle of the, the marketplace, the Agora in downtown Corinth. And uh, the Jews thought that they were going to get rid of Paul and get rid of this new church that was going on. But right in the middle of it all, because, this is why they brought him there. Verse 13 says, because they were persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. To the Jewish law, not the Roman law. Look what happens. Verse 14. Just as Paul was about to speak. Now we're back in your own Bible or tablet or phone, whatever you're using. Here it is. Just as Paul, verse 14, was about to speak. Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, the Jewish law, settle the matter for yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. And he drove them off. God fulfilled his promise. Paul wasn't harmed. Didn't happen. Wow. Right there, immediately, God confirms his promise to Paul. And then we look at verse 17. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes. So this would have been the other, the crowd, not just the Jews, but, but, but the Greeks, the, the, all those that were there, the Gentiles, and uh, some of the Jews probably, turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, the governor. And Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Why would they do that? We, we don't know. Sosthenes, he's identified as the, uh, the uh, synagogue leader. We said, wait a minute, I thought Crispus. Well, he got saved. And no doubt when Crispus got saved, he lost his job in the synagogue. No longer the synagogue leader. And, and it would appear that Sosthenes is the next one who took over. So he became the synagogue leader. And as a result, the, the crowd, the, the rabble out there is upset. They're just beating them up because nothing happened to Paul and the new church. Galileo, the governor, refused to make a judgment on any of that. You know what's interesting? We'll, we'll talk more about it, but if you... Just write this down, 1 Corinthians 1, 1. We already looked at it, but if you'll look, you'll see the name Sosthenes again. We don't know for sure, but there's a good chance that the Sosthenes, who is the synagogue leader who got beat up by the rabble-rousers in the crowd, is the same Sosthenes that helped Paul write the letter to 1 Corinthians. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. That, that, that's what happened. So here, the second synagogue leader came to Christ. 
God was building his church. I have many people in this city. So what? So what? So what do we do now with all of what we've talked about? We see how Paul began the church in Acts chapter 18. There's so much there, but just a a walking through and seeing how this all developed. This is just the beginning of Paul's ministry because he was there for a year and a half building God's church. Well, two things that I want to leave with you by way of application. Um, What does God want you to do with this truth? Well, I've got two thoughts. Number one, be the church in the city. Be the church in the city. Now, I'm, I'm not talking here about just the city as opposed to the suburbs or the countryside. No, there is a great need in cities across our country today because a lot of churches have left the city. And many cities are without good, solid gospel outreach or certainly not enough in comparison to the number number of people who make up the cities. But I'm just talking about Be the church in the city, in the community, in the area, the towns that God has placed us. Be the church. We have a responsibility to be the church in northeastern Pennsylvania. How are you doing with that? Are you the church? Are you influencing our city, the cities, our community in northeastern Pennsylvania? Or is all of what's going on in our country and communities today influencing the church more than we, them? Question number two, here's what else we need to do. And I would say that as we do that, let me go back to the be the church in the city. What I mean, wherever you live, wherever you work or play, wherever you go to school, wherever you shop, wherever you go to the doctor, Whenever you cut your grass in your own neighborhood, whenever you're shoveling snow and your neighbors are out, let it be the place of influence. Right where you are, be the church in the city. Find your crossroads. Go there. Now, when I say crossroads, we're going to see next week that Corinth was a crossroads. The nation of Israel is a crossroads. Find your crossroads where the traffic is, where you can be an influence for the glory of God. Be the church. Secondly, as we say this, live as those who will give an account. Each of us will one day be called to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. When we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, at the Bema, we will have to give an account of how we've lived our lives as believers. Here's what Paul says. So we make it our goal to please him. Who's that? We, to please our Lord, to please God. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema. You see, Paul's writing, this is in 2 Corinthians, 
But Paul's still writing to Corinth. They will know very much what the Bema is because it's right downtown Corinth. We will one day appear before a different Bema, a different judgment seat. It will be the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What we will not be judged or condemned for is our sin. That's already happened. That happened at the cross. If you believe and receive by faith Jesus Christ, it's over. But for those of us who know Jesus, we will be giving an account of how we've lived our lives as those who know him for whether it be good or bad. That bad is not sin. It's the word useless of no worth or value. So the question is, what are you doing today as a believer, as a member of the church, the body of Christ? That's of no value. Are you spending your time on things that don't matter? Or are you going to receive the well done at the, at the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, because we've been faithfully serving our God? What a commendation. What a day that could be it's always too soon to quit it may be harder to be the church in our cities and communities it may be hard to live in a way that we're doing of things of value and worth as we have to give an account one day but it's always too soon to quit God has given us the promise that he is with us always. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. And as we study together Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, oh God, help us to, to learn. Help us to be drawn closer to you. Help us to understand what the church is and what we ought to be doing and how we ought to be influencing our cities for the glory of God today. If there are any here today that are listening that do not know Jesus, oh God, I pray that you'd open their hearts, bring conviction of their sin, and cause them to understand Jesus is the Savior of this world. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Don't forget, read 1 Corinthians all the way through. Next Sunday, we'll see you then, hopefully right here in the auditorium. Have a great week.